What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 22. That is 2-2 of the podcast, and we are very glad you're able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this podcast aims to do. We are interviewing elite players who lost one to two games in a major event. We are going to talk about breaking down their mistakes, what they plan to do moving forward, and how they plan to learn from those mistakes. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? We've all done it. I do it. Everyone does it. Brad does it from time to time even. That's what we aim to debunk on this show. For this episode, we are heading down to a land where Unbroken has never gone before. We are traveling overseas to talk about the London GT. So grab some tea, eat some crumpets, and buckle in for an amazing ride as we talk about Drukari on Drukari Hate once again. I want you all to imagine we are in Liverpool doing the Beatles street crossing thing. I think I would be Ringo Starr. That's that's my personality for that. I love walk. the fact that you gave it the Beatles street crossing thing. That hey, makes you know it what? sound so less iconic. Hey, like, you know, I, I don't know what it's called, you know. I don't know what it's called. That's what that's why I'm gonna call it on this. The street crossing thing. You know, where they're oh there's a bunch of pictures of it. You know, I I don't know what it is. But anyway, this is part one of the podcast. In this part, we're going to analyze the game. We're going to talk about common mistakes that are made in games. We're going to talk about the secondaries that our player chose. And we're going to talk about target priority and all the things from A to Z between those. In part two, we're going to go straight into strategy and the adjustments the player plans to make on the list, whether it's combat-centric, shooting mix, all the things they plan on doing to adapt to the, to the list that they lost to. We're going to talk about new strategies, list adjustments, and just that elite player mindset. My co-host is, once again, he's number one. He's number one. He's number uno, Brad, once again, not only in the hearts of the people, but also in the ITC after winning the Michigan GT this last weekend. He's a nine-time member of Team USA. He's won a lot of Adepticons in the archives. You'll have to unlock the tomes to find them. He has three top eight LVO finishes. He's won the Armed Forces GT this year. He's the 2021 ACO champion. He was the runner-up of GW uh, New Orleans two weeks ago, Mr. Brad Chester. Hooray! <sighs> so, yeah. tell, I, who would you be on, like. on the on the Beatles streetwalk? Who would you be? Oh, that's that's a tough one, man. I mean, who would John Lennon be? Would John Lennon be John Lennon? We're gonna make John Lennon be John Lennon, of course. Yeah, John Lennon's John Lennon. So you I would be I, like. Um, I feel I'm too too much of a wild card for McCartney. Do I have to be Harrison? I don't want to be Harrison. That's yeah, funny. you're Harrison. Yeah, I'm. <clears throat> I'm definitely Ringo Starr. I'm too cool. So that's uh, that's where I'm at. Um, how's it feel to be number one, man? You're back up top. Feels strong. I mean, it's gonna call all gonna to come down to LVO in a, a mad dash uh, with the Boy King and Mr. Jack and Sean Naden. So we'll see how, how it roughs up until then. Art of War is currently one, two, three. Feels good. Dude, Jack catapulted up there too. I looked. I just like blinked, and he was number three all of a sudden. That's pretty crazy. Jack uh, Ninja snuck up there into number three. He slowly, quietly, he just assassinated everyone that was in front of him. Yeah, he played sick in Nola, which is pretty crazy. He was like sick, and he still somehow managed to score high and get number three. Props to Mr. Jack Harpster. 
Jack had some uh, mouth problems. He had four teeth pulled the day before and still came out. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so he, I think he deserves that number three slot. That's pretty impressive. Now, our guest today, he's hailing from Liverpool, repping Team Glasshammer out of the UK. He has won an absolute ton of GT since the dawn of Rogue Trader. He has traveled the world playing, including the US, Sweden, the Netherlands, Belgium, all repping the UK. He's won the majority T3 SummerSlam Major. He won the Isle of Man GT, Mr. Mark Crumpleholm. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Did I say your name right there? Near enough. Everybody Near knows enough. it. Okay. But you're actually the third Mark to come on this show, and Unbroken actually has a rule that there can only be one. Are you prepared to do battle with Mark Perry and Mark Ace to determine who's the ultimate Mark? Yeah, that's only fair. Could you take him down? You think Mark Perry's a pretty big dude, man. I don't know. We're talking about like physical altercations here. We're not even talking 40 k Very excited about this. There can only be one. I'm, I'm six foot, about 20 stone. I'll, I'll have a go. Oh, man. I am excited about this. And, and Mark Ace is actually. He just threw it out in stone, too. All of us are like, what's the conversion of that? He weighs somewhere between 200 and 8,000. We don't know what it is. It's, it, it's fat, right? I'm pretty fat. Pretty tall. Pretty fat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, we're no, I'm actually very excited. We don't know how to use the metric system or anything else. We're dumb. Come on. I'm excited about this, actually, because I didn't think about it, but we got like three pretty pretty big marks because Mark Ace is like a military like uh, special ops dude. You got Mark Perry, he's farm strong. And now we have Mark, Mark UK Mark here. He just seems like he's a massive dude. I'm, I'm excited for this. But uh, So tell us a little bit about Glasshammer and Hellstrom Gaming out of the UK. I know those are two, two uh, gaming groups that are close to your heart. Yeah, so so Glasshammer is is run by friends uh, Manny Chima um, and Dan Bates. They set up their own shop. They run a lot of events um, at the Glass House in Telford. It's a nice venue in the in the middle of the country, so it's pretty easy to drive to for for most people. Um, there's an awful lot of sort of you know sixty man events, um, but they're always Shark Tank. Um, with Manny having friends, you know, from the WTC, the ETC. And, and having his own his own show and his own personality, he draws people in, and there are normally you know multiple um, really really top players from the UK at, at any one of their events. Um, the Hellstorm events it is a YouTube channel started off as a, as a Twitch channel, I think that Mikey Herbert runs. Um, a little bit more friendly, but he really really puts the effort into running his events. He's about the only event in the UK that's running the uh, the GW style maps that you guys have been running recently over at some events. Um, so it's really good to get exposure to those maps. Uh, but he mixes them up. So we'll have those maps. He'll have WTC maps and he'll have uh, London GT maps all within the same event. Uh-oh. Tell me, tell me what's your favorite map out of those three. I, I really like the GW one. But I'm most practiced on the WTC ones. So uh, if if I if I knew I wanted to win WTC, yeah. I was about to say yeah. And the same with me. I, I played way more games in the WTC maps than anything else. But I did like the GW maps quite a bit. Tell us a little bit about the London GT. Speaking of which, tell us about kind of the terrain. How many people were there? Just the event in general. I mean, it was a pretty small event. It was what a two day RTT basically. Yeah, basically it was. Um, it was. Somewhere, somewhere close to 600 players, maybe a little bit under 600 players actually turned up. Um, it's held inside an indoor athletic stadium, um, so it's, it's quite a spectacle when you walk into it. You know, it's pretty awe-inspiring. It's not just 40K, so they run like uh, Sigmar and I think they run the Game of Thrones 
um, game there as well this time, as well as uh, the main event, the 40k GT. Um, it's been going for about five years now. It has had some historic issues that are well documented with terrain, but the last three um, have been really, really, you know, well run as a whole with only really the usual sort of problems you get with, with massive events. And it is nice that we, we've started putting on US scale events within the UK because we have so many players and it's such a small island. We're all close. We, we can all uh, travel to them you know, pretty easy. Can we give you the event? Did you, were you playing this list or did you make some changes due to the specifics of the uh, London Grand Tournament terrain being the kind of refreshing because I think we did one more episode with this and the fact that you guys had the one big L in the deployment that was obscuring and then two smaller uh, non-obscuring L's in your deployment zone of each person. Yeah, so um, it's a little bit lighter than, than most of the boards that we've been playing on for ninth edition. Two big L's in the middle, one obscuring L either deployment zone and two very small L's. Um, you can hide a rhino behind it, but you can't hide a raider behind it. Um, so yeah, I had to to build with this event's terrain in mind. Um, I have a, I have a set of it. You know, I was lucky enough to buy a set, so I got a little bit of, of practice with deployment in. But it's um, as a Drakari player, it's not easy to hide um, the usual lists. Yeah, because I think uh, getting people. I've worked with some people that were getting ready for the London Grand Tournament. And it did look like you could hide uh, one or two, maybe three, but not really, because the person, if they have movement at all, could just zoom out and pew-pew the crap out of you there. Yeah, that, that's pretty much what I figured was was two was safe. Uh, three, it would be list-dependent. So I aimed for being able to hide two. Now tell us a little bit, what does the layout of the London GTs like terrain actually look like? What are we talking about here? Uh, so generally, one mid-sized obscuring ruin, so round about seven by seven inches in each deployment zone, two, I think, five by three non-obscuring, maybe four-inch high L-shaped. Yeah, they're four inches. We we did the centimeter conversion or the millimeter conversion. And um, two nine-by-nine obscuring Ls um, somewhere in the middle of the board. So you have some obscuring stuff kind of in the central where you can kind of go park mid-board, kind of hide some smaller things to maybe not get shot. It's just a problem with uh, what you're trying to bring on uh, first turn because of the fact that you only have one piece of obscuring in your zone and your opponent knows that. And then you can't go behind the very small ones because they're not obscuring and they're only four at all. So you can see uh, lots of things can be seen over it. Raiders, dreadnoughts, whatever can be seen. they popping their heads out. Yeah, that was that was the the main problem we had. We knew Abner could sort of recently come into the um into the, the meta and the Iron Hand Dreadnought gunline um was doing really, really well. And I'd experienced um Alex Harrison playing that list very, very well into me at a Hellstorm event a few weeks before. And he he killed fifteen hundred points of my army in one turn. Oh jeez. So it, it was good. good. Yeah, yeah. I fought back, obviously. <laughs> I got 20 points, I think, in that game. But he did get his car locked in the car park, so it was worth it. Yeah, there you go. Payback's on you, man. Got to get the gotta get the key lock. Um, so let's just go ahead and jump right into the list, man. How about you just kind of tell us about your list, what you ran at the London GT? Yeah, so I 
had previously been playing um, pure cabal, black heart, and small squads with blasters and phantasm grenade launchers, uh, all in raiders. There were six raiders, but I knew I couldn't deploy it um, properly on the LGT terrain. So I kept one black heart patrol uh, with two raiders. Um, I added a unit of trueborn. And I added uh, a large nine-man court in there, so four Slith, four Urgul, and one Lemayan for the leadership. Um, I then added um, an Obsidian Rose patrol, again with Trueborn, no Raiders, um, a unit of Cabalites. And I then added a Poison Tongue patrol with three Raiders um, and three units of Cabalites. And then I had three five-man Mandrake units. Um, dotted around to help with the missions and I had a very very murdery succubus with the triptych whip and precision blows Drazar um, a gin blade archon with hatred eternal and I had a, a second um, a second archon that was just sort of hanging around he didn't really do very much I do like the, the triple mandrakes did really help with the uh, fact that you wanted to make sure that you had spots to go and do the objectives and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those. They don't normally leave my list. I consider dropping them. Um, they tend to be really, really good for me for Rod, but I was fairly sure I wasn't going to be using Rod as a secondary too much in this event because I wanted to aim for 100 points to try and make the, the top four cut. Well, let's, let's talk about that real quick because it, it changes how you played and how you came into the event uh, because of the fact that you guys played five games and then cut to a top four out of almost 600 people. So you really had to put the foot on the gas and other players also brought lists that, you know, and play styles because basically taking rods goes, I'm not going to make the final four kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly, and I, I didn't see the point in, in traveling down, you know, playing five games, playing my heart out, potentially winning five games and still not making it. I'd rather take the risk and, uh, you know, aim, aim, aim for the top. What in your list here did you kind of put in there with the intention of, I'm not taking Rod, instead I'm going to take something that's going to get me 100 points every game? So I, I built the court as nine man to cost it over Drazar. And I added a close combat weapon to my Trueborn squads, as well as the Phantasm Grenade Launcher, which took them to 145. Um, so that meant if I wanted to do to the last, I could take both Trueborn and the Court instead of Drizar, because I tend to be very, very aggressive with Drizar. He doesn't always make it to the end of the game, but he normally murders a lot along his way. Um, but I didn't want... I didn't want um, to have him die and only score 10 points. So I wanted relatively safe options for the Trueborn and the Court who can hang back, do some range damage, sit in a Raider, and in an ideal world, not die by the end of the game. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, anything else about his list, Brad, you want to talk about? I do like the Phantasm grenade launchers there because it gives you the option of, especially with those units of Trueborn that you can throw inside so that you can just shoot and then do a, a little bit of fire and fade, get yourself a little a couple more angles. What does that uh, Phantasm Grenade Launcher even do? I've never seen that, actually. It's a D3 shots, 18-inch range assault weapon. Um, once you've hit, for every hit roll that you do, you roll two dice, and you need to beat your opponent's leadership. 
Um, if you do beat your opponent's leadership, you do a mortal wound. Um, it ties into my raiders. My raiders are fairly well upgraded. They're not bare bones, so they do have grizzly trophies um, and chain snares. So they'll apply a minus two leadership uh, to enemy units within three inches. So you, you can do a fair amount of mortal wounds, um, you know, if you need to, to, uh, to an enemy unit. That's pretty cool. That's some pretty cool tech there. I like that. Um, Brad, how about you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the list that Mark played here, another Jukari list. It was Jukari and Jukari Crime. So we had a Cabal of the Blackheart with Jazar as the Warlord with Hatred Eternal for full rerolls. Three units of racks, two Incubi, followed out with six Raiders. He did not care about the terrain. He was like, I'm going first. That's how I roll. Then we have a patrol with the Cult of Strife, with a succubus with the Triptech Whip, uh, Show Stealer, and Blood Dancer for the Exploding Sixes. And then we've got one, two, three big units of Witches, all ten strong. Two three-man units of Reavers. And then we've got a Dark Technomancer Patrol with a Homoculus, uh, two units of Rax, the third unit of Incubi, and a three-man unit of Kronos with the guns on them, looking for all of that AP2 two-damage mojo. What are the big things you see in that list that kind of differ from Mark's? What's like the what's the dichotomy between the two of them? I guess uh, he's got the, of course, he's got the he's got one squad that that the Dark Technomancers uh, patrol is basically for that three-man squad of Kronos, which do a down in damage. That two damage uh, is really really nice, and he's got the Cult of Strife in there. So he can get up, do a lot of damage with those witches, uh, ignore Overwatch. There's a lot of there's a lot of armies in the LGT that had all of the guns. So either reroll all wounds or ignore Overwatch or both. And then he's got a succubus to go in there and, and do a lot of damage. Um, I, I was surprised that your opponent took so many vehicles um, in this particular format. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think I was I was surprised too. Um... He, he definitely couldn't hide as, as well as I could. Um, I, the Poison Tongue units in my army were also obviously there for the redeploy stratagem, but um, he didn't have that option. Um, I do love I love me some Poison Tongue. When when the terrain is in is it uh in question, Poison Tongue is always the answer for me. Yep, that's that's why they were there. Um, but but yeah, I, I was I was surprised by his list, and and to be perfectly honest, I think I just underestimated it, it as well a little bit. And that probably plays into why he beat me. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about what the the mission was, the mission was, and kind of walk us through the game a little bit so we get a feel for what happened. So, and and I I'm gonna get rinsed here for not knowing the name of the mission. It was one of the corner corner to corner deployments, and I don't remember if it was the. Was it sweep? Was it what priority targets? Was I, it I think I think priority targets. Priority? Did did you move objectives before the game? No, because that's priority target. If, no, if, no, if I don't think we was, did. <laughs> if the secondary was direct assault, which is the middle, you played sweep and clear. I think it was the middle, sweep and clear. There you go, you, sweep and clear. It was. Yeah. What were your secondaries? Uh so. I think we both took Stranglehold because we knew we'd be pushing for the middle. I took to the last, and uh, I think neither of us took Herd because it's a bit of a trap into other Drakari players. I think we both took Engage. 
Uh, you can't take Stranglehold and Engage at the same time. Then we didn't do that. I was going to say, that, that would Maybe. be illegal. It would be really nice, because you'd probably score 15 on both. Let's go with Assassinate, because we have a lot of characters. <laughs> That's what happens when it's not nearly three weeks ago. <laughs> also, we're keeping you up late, so. Yeah. We definitely so, fought over the middle a lot. So, tell me how the game went. Who went first? Who went second? Uh, he went first. Um, and he... Uh, I did a pretty, a pretty solid Tricari first turn with Blackheart. He killed, I think he killed two Raiders. Um, if he didn't kill it two, he crippled one, and, and the other one uh, managed to explode as well in my lines, which was fun. Um, I did use my redeploy stratagem, and I redeployed badly, and I just completely and utterly forgot because I've been spending so long focused on Cabal. Drakari, I completely forgot uh, that he had so many witches. And uh, after his second turn, I was eating an awful lot of, uh, <laughs> of witches in the midfield, which was a bit of a pain. So um, you you said you went second there. So when you when you deploy, did you give him up? Did you give up some angles due to the terrain where he could get draw some angles on your two raiders there? Yeah, the the the, the redeploy. The reason I enjoy the stratagem is I can put them into reserves. But when I say they underestimated him, I, I didn't think he'd do what he did uh, to me um, on the first turn. So I stayed on the board and I stayed relatively close to the um, to the center. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, with, with his 14-inch movement and the lances and the way the terrain was, he, he moved quite easily and got uh, a, a number of a number of good shots off into me. I didn't make any of my saves, um, but I only needed to fail like four to lose a to lose two raiders. You know. So he basically pushed up his six raiders, drew line of sight, and just lobbed dark lances at your at your raiders. It's kind of how that first turn went for him. Uh, pretty much, yeah. It was about as good as it was it was going to go. And moving forward, so what what do you feel like you could have done there that would have kind of shifted the the experience of your turn one there. Is there any anything you would have done differently there that could have saved your Raiders? If we if we played the game again, then I would look at I would redeploy one blue further back away from the center line. Uh, one poison tongue raider further back. Uh, the other two I would actually have probably put into um, strategic reserves and brought them in once he'd made his push. And then use them to to sort of clear his good units off, you know. So what happened in your your turn? You you got some shooting out. Did you try? Do we take the middle? Like tell me tell me about what happened in the game. So we 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 both knew we had to fight over the middle, but I had obviously the mandrake and stuff. We were both able to throw a few units away to to make sure we we got the um, the stranglehold points and stuff over the center. I fired everything. Pretty much because he hadn't demacked at this point. Um, I fired everything to try and pop a few raiders, and um, it didn't. It didn't go my way for, for various reasons. It uh, it didn't do anything. I think I only ended up doing uh, about six damage to one raider, um, and I have like eighteen dark light shots in in my list. So it, it wasn't it wasn't my best turn, um, and because I thought that I was going to pop a few raiders easily. I was I stayed close. I could have moved back. I could have, you know, kited in a little bit more and, and I didn't. And uh I didn't kill any raiders on my turn one. 
At this point, are you are you pretty extended into the middle with most of your army? Or are you kind of laying back and and playing the trade game? No, I am at, at this point after my turn one. I am fairly well extended towards the center. Um, my my backfield is is safe enough. He's he's unlikely to reach it with anything. Um, so I've pushed pretty hard and yeah, just uh, just didn't manage to uh, <laughs> to do anything. Were there concerns for you? Did he have any like um, any reserves or anything like that? And he he had mandrakes in the list, right? Your opponent? Or... Uh, he, I don't remember if he had mandrakes. I definitely had mandrakes. Um, he had racks that he deep struck. Um, unit okay. five racks that he deep struck. Um, he did not have racks in it. He did not. I'm sorry. He did not have mandrakes in this list. No. Um, but he did deep strike some racks. Um, and that you know they 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 do their thing. They come in and then they die. Um, they 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 weren't a concern. I really wanted to pop open, um, you know, the raiders that had his characters in and uh, and get into the meaty stuff. But that was that was my plan anyway. So moving forward, you so it sounds like you got you got D Mech turn one versus an army that's uh, has more mech than you to begin with, and so now he has to kind of a speed advantage over you, and he has the um, Chronos kind of floating around midboard. I imagine kind of dealing with your squads as they come out. Um, what was your plan to overcome the fact that you are now slower than him? So, I mean, in terms of speed, I was happy enough that at least I was near the the middle of the board. But yeah, those Kronos were were cutting into me, um, and it wasn't it wasn't pleasant. And then when the witches arrived, um, they were they were going pretty hard. Um, so we traded essentially what boats I did have. I got out, I killed one of his units, he killed one of mine. Um, but uh, when it came to me trying to kill the Kronos, I uh, I could not do it for, for anything. Um, I did get his Drazar. Um, his Drazar charged my court, um, which at this point had moved to sort of the center of, of the board to try and uh, hold out on that um, on that central objective. And, and I thought, to be fair, when he charged Drazar into me, I thought Drazar was going to, to to murder the court, and he didn't. He bounced for like two turns, and eventually the court killed him. Um, and I was I was fighting my way back into the game. Um, he had a couple of raiders in his backfield, but but the rest we were trading pretty well in in the middle. Um, but I couldn't um, I couldn't quite do it. Uh, I use a lot of fire and fade. And uh, you know, getting out of one, um, or not getting out of one boat, but the fire fading into another boat, getting out of boats in different places. The trueborn really did some work, um, but eventually he got his witches into the trueborn and my archons. And I, I, uh, I've never wanted a fight last archon so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I could see that being an issue once you get all those witches and speed up in you. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it, it's. It's a weird one when you fight Drakari because I'm a long time Drakari player. I, I dabble with other Eldari. I don't really play anything else. Um, so I like seeing stuff I haven't played with yet. Um, so I have witches still to come in terms of uh, experimenting with with witch girls. So it was good to see what they could do, get some ideas. Uh, but as an opponent on the receiving end of it, it, it wasn't pretty. Do you feel like, um, do you love you me some put, witches? 
Oh yeah, witches are witches are the bane of my existence. I got whooped up on by some witches in uh, New Orleans this last weekend, or I guess it was two weekends ago now. But cold the strife, and I have a love affair going on right now. Oh yeah, that's it's pretty. That's pretty brutal. Pretty brutal uh, build right now, I guess. Um, do you feel like there is ways you could have screened differently, or did you have units in your army that really could have served that role for you to kind of block those charges and kind of limit his mobility? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't be stealing from my after-hours time. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we'll that'll we'll we'll save that question for the Bradening, also known as the Brad Hour, also known as the Mad Brad Hour. There, there's a there's a whole lot of stuff coming in part two. Uh, uh, and also, I think that'll be one of them. I need so many more objectives, my friend. If everybody hasn't hasn't seen them, the Brad After Dark objectives were a popular thing, and I need them. I could have been selling those like hotcakes going into the last tournament. It's uh, it's Brad grabbing the bull by the horns, both actually and physically or and metaphorically speaking both so it's uh it's pretty fantastic yeah it sounds pretty awesome i need to see it but going into before this matchup started do you feel like this was a um a matchup that you had an advantage going into disadvantage how would you kind of peg that when you look across the table and see that in front of you like like, like i said at the start i i underestimated either him who i didn't know or his list um and, and I underestimated it, and I thought I was going to go into that. I thought I was going to go first or second. It didn't matter. Just pop his boats with my – I have more dark light in the list and just, just kill his stuff. I, I just thought that was going to happen, and, you know, and, and it was um, <laughs> a terrible, terrible lesson for me. But that's the whole thing is learning from those lessons, baby. That's why we do this broadcast. <laughs> yeah. So, Brad, what are you, what are your thoughts after hearing him talk about the game? What are some of the thoughts you have that you're obviously going to say for the Brad hour? But what are some thoughts you have, kind of thinking oh, forward? We'll do, we'll do one for it. it. Were you thinking that possibly uh, after his first turn that you could have, uh, uh, because you have the court that can advance and charge, of course, on turn one because of Blackheart treating it as one more on the thing? Did you have range to get into any one of his uh, in his boats? Not one of the ones that's carrying witches and focusing more on one side to pop, pop one of them and then murder one of the witch squads. I, I it, it's possible that I could have. Um, if I could have, I wouldn't have done it because of um, taking to the last. I think so. Um, I don't think I would have done it. It probably would have been a good idea, but I lost. But you know, yeah. Um, I mean, well, just the, the other question was: is secondary wise? Do you think if you're going went back and played this match again, uh, giving yourself a few options, would you have taken? I um, mean, you could have done stranglehold, direct assault, like rods or something. You know what I mean? Uh, instead of the secondaries that you took, giving yourself a little more options as far as I'm going to go ahead and and smash and just use the fact that you've got so many small units that you could basically guarantee a rods and. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you know that you're going to take casualties because it's you know, Jakari and Jakari usually ends up as a bloody affair. Yeah, and I think what happened was I went into this, like I said, with the mindset of I needed 100 points to win the event. So you know, you're, you're playing for that. You need 100 or yeah, 90 I, out of every game. I'd already lost. I keep. I was going to say I keep forgetting the, the the format on that. I apologize on that one. But but I'd lost. So you're absolutely right. I I, I should have just switched to let's just win the game at that point. But I didn't. I was still in the mindset of I needed to to get maximum points. Uh which was, you know, I mean it, it wasn't it wasn't like a problem. 
at the event, it was just something different to uh, to work around, you know. Well, how do you tell me what you normally take when you're doing this? Like, well, basically, what was the difference in the format? I mean, obviously, you were pushing for hundreds, which just make that just that does make you apparently. I can't talk today, which does make you Seamus edit that out, which does make you uh, take a little bit more of an aggressive mindset as far as your you know, what you're going to take because you need those hundreds. Typically, what would your normal game plan have been? So no, normally, Rod is is normally the first one on the list. It's hard not to max that with most Drakari lists. Um, I normally then take either Engage or Herd, depending on if I think my opponent's going to come forward a lot or not. And, and then I always try to leave myself... Um, you know, nothing that's set in stone for the third one, something that either plays into my opponent's list or plays into the mission if there's a, a good secondary. Um, but certainly I think Rod and um, Engage would have would have uh, stayed in, in, the, in the match. One of the things our viewers often ask us is, how do you go back and think about losses? Like when you lose a game, how do you come back after the tournament and say, man, this is why I lost that game. This is what I'm going to do to change it. Like what's your process? Um, yeah, I, so I, I, I tend to, uh, sulk like a great big man, baby, um, in private, not, not in public. I'm quite happy in public, but I will, I'll have a, a, a sulk normally the night after a loss. I'll be, uh, I'll be replaying it in my head. I'll be, I'll go through sort of you know, stages of denial. I'll be blaming dice for a while. Then I'll go, it wasn't my dice. My dice were, were fine. And I'll, I'll say I chose the wrong secondary, but, but most of the time I didn't necessarily choose the wrong one. Normally it comes down to I've played too aggressively, but most of my losses come from pulling the trigger too early. And, uh, and and either getting bored because my opponent is more comfortable waiting, um, and so I'll be the one that jumps over the wall first and goes, "This this will do." Um, but I had a roommate for um, for London, um, and so I sat up with him. We talked about my losses. He didn't. He hadn't lost at this point, so he was uh, he was on three wins and. Um, Normally, it helps me to talk about the next match, whatever match is next. So we talked about his next match a lot. We came up with some plans for him. Um, and uh, if it's at the end of an event, I'll go home. First page I go to is the, the stratagem page. And I just look through all my stratagems and see if, if anything would have been useful. Mostly, so that it's it's a case of, if I'd done that, I, I could have won because, you know, X, Y, and, and Z. Um, but yeah, review of the stratagems, pretty important. Um, secondaries, I tend to try to build that in at the list writing stage and, and have some sort of a plan for secondaries. But the Drakari book at the minute is is very, very strong. It's very, very deep. Um, so to, to win a game, I've gotten very, very comfortable with with Rod and Heard the Prey for most of my games. Um, so I don't change that too much. I'm gonna I love that. I'm gonna go ahead and say that the unbroken UK version, I'm gonna I want our slogan to be it wasn't me dice. That's like the best thing I've heard in a while. Yeah. Put that on a put that on an objective. 
We're gonna get a T-shirt that says "It wasn't me, dice, art of war unbroken." I'll put, I'll give you credit to it, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. Any other questions you have for Mark in part one here, Brad? Before we go to the Bradning, I'm ready for the Bradning after hours. After hours, you can always hire Brad to do anything, anything at all at theartofwar40k.com/slash/hirebrad. He will do whatever you ask. It's real weird around here. But thanks for joining us, Mark. We're going to jump right into part two where we will ask all the hardball questions. We'll talk about list adjustment strategy, all the good stuff, and I am looking very much forward to it. Awesome. All right. For those listening, make sure to check out our other podcasts. We have The Art of War Vanilla, now with the new flavor, Steve Joel, and Nick Navati and John Lennon. Also check out The Art of War Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. I've decided that the Art of War is vanilla. We are, of course, pistachio, because you didn't know you liked us until you tried us. And the Art of War Down Under is actually a uh, Vegemite-flavored. It's a Vegemite-flavored ice cream, you know? You're, you're forced to like it because you're from Australia. That's that's where we're at with it, I think. Brad, what do you think? I'm just saying, there's uh, out, of one of the, out of these podcasts, there's one that's the fastest growing right now. Oh, yeah. We're not going there. We're not going there yet, Brad. Gauntlet dropped. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out other, all of our other content at theartofwar40k.com. Make sure to subscribe to The War Room. Check out all the great videos we have to offer over there, all the coaching advice. You can hire any one of these people to be your coach. You can hire Brad. You can hire John Lennon. You can hire Nick Nanavani. You can have her hire, number three, Jack Harpster. All kinds of people available. They'll do whatever you want. It's great. Check it out. Thanks for listening. Join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network, theartofwar40k.com.